Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock, Editor-in-Chief at Pharma Forum. Uh, today, I'm joined by Mary Louise Spielskog, Chief Medical Officer at Farron Pharmaceuticals. Mary Louise is going to talk to us a little bit about the world of the tumor microenvironment, which is really all about the way that in these emerging immunotherapy categories in cancer, um, we're finding all kinds of ways that tumors are able to sort of fight back um, in, against our efforts to activate our own immune systems. And well, I will, I will let you uh, tell us a little more about this, but uh, very, very happy to have you and, and welcome to the show, Mary Lily. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So, so I think you gave a very, sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I just wanted to say, I think that was a very great uh, start and it just shows how important it is to talk about the tumor microenvironment so we can stimulate our own immune system. So tell me about it. Give, give me the, the sort of picture. I, I read the great little piece that you wrote about uh, about this and, and sort of the detective story of the tumor microenvironment. And I was hoping you could share a little bit of that perspective uh, for the listeners. Yes. So, I mean, uh, some years back, we were thinking about tumors as only tumor cells. But the tumor cell actually, the tumor actually consists of much more than tumor cells. So we have different vessels, we have connective tissue, and we have different immune cells. And as you know, tumor cells are very, very clever. So they do whatever they can to be able to grow and become stronger and stronger and disseminate to other organs. So therefore, during the last 10, 20 years, researchers have more and more tried to target this tumor microenvironment to try to get at the tumor cells, the tumor, in more uh, diverse uh, ways. And I think, like, I think it's fascinating that our immune system is really excellent in detecting different foreign viruses or bacteria or even tumor cells. However, because the tumor cells are so clever, the immune system, the, the tumor is actually hiding the tumor cells from the immune system. So the immune system cannot see the tumor. And if the immune system doesn't know that there is something foreign going on in the body, it cannot react. So a lot of the new therapies or the therapies that we've seen in the last 10, 20 years are working on helping the body to effectively get rid of cancer. What do you mean when you say that tumors are, are clever, right? I mean, tumors are just, uh, they're just our own cells, uh, you know, grow, with grown wild. They're not like a virus or something foreign that came into the body. Um, so, so how is it that they sort of have this property of being so, I mean, and obviously we're anthropomorphizing, but you know, of, of being so tricky around the immune system? How does that evolve or how does that happen? Well, tumor cells aren't normal cells. They have different mutations that shouldn't be there. Uh, and that's how they learn how to behave in a way that a normal cell wouldn't. A normal cell wouldn't try to go to different organs. Like a liver cell knows that they live in the liver. They shouldn't go anywhere else. But cancer cells, they have lost this ability of knowing where they belong. So they just try to disseminate anywhere. So the immune system should actually be able to see those tumor cells because there are genetic uh, 
well, genetic signals or structures that shouldn't be there. So this tumor microenvironment idea, this is the idea that not only is the tumor itself able to sort of camouflage itself from the immune system, but it recruits the cells around it to help too. And that's something that current immunotherapies aren't always um, kind of engineered to deal with, right? So, I mean, I, I think it's very exciting. When I, when I learned like more than 10 years ago that when you give a patient, for instance, chemotherapy and you kill tumor cells, the result of the chemotherapy is not only dependent on the actual chemotherapy, it's dependent on, as you say, the cells that are in the tumor. Like if you have a lot of those activating immune cells, you will get a much better response to chemotherapy than if you don't have any of these immune infiltrating cells. So I, I think that's really, really interesting. So as you just mentioned, we are trying to target those immune suppressive cells in the tumor microenvironment to try to activate and show the tumor to the immune system so our own bodies can take care of it. Right, which is, that's sort of the, that's the promise of immunotherapy more broadly for cancer. Yes. But a lot of the, the immunotherapies that have been developed so far, and we're still sort of early in that, uh, in that space as an industry, um, they they don't work on every patient, right? And there's this natural variation. Um, and so so I'm curious. I know this is sort of what Farron's working on. That the the reason is is to try to make an immunotherapy that's going to be more broadly effective. Um, what's the thought of the mechanism there of how that might be accomplished? Okay, so so I think it all comes back to what we talked about: tumor cells being clever that there isn't only one way of evading different therapies, like uh, evading the immune system. So the tumor cell, they find very different ways of not showing themselves to the immune system. So the new immunotherapy that we have since approximately 10 years, they can they are very helpful if the tumor uses the PD-1, PD-L1 signaling system. So these are the PD-1 blockers. But if the tumor cell is not using that system to hide for the immune system, if they're using something else, for instance, macrophages in the tumor microenvironment or something else, of course, that drug would not work. So we have learned pretty much about PD-1 blockers and which patients respond to that kind of treatment. So I think like immunotherapies, I think it's fantastic that we can actually help our own body to fight foreign tumors. Uh, and I think in some patients, the results are absolutely amazing. If we think about skin cancer, 10 years ago, the prognosis was really poor and most of the treatments was based on chemotherapy. But now with immunotherapy, the survival can be prolonged from like three months up to five years, maybe even a cure. So what is important to have the PD-1 blockers work is that you have some sort of immune activation already existing in the tumor. And some tumors have that naturally, then they can respond very well to PD-1 blockers. Farron is trying to target some of those cells that are immune suppressive, that prevents the immune system from recognizing the tumor. So we're focusing on those macrophages that are clever one positive. So our drug is a monoclonal antibody that targets clever one on certain macrophages. 
And signaling through PrEP1 is known to be very, very immune suppressive. In fact, PrEP1 signaling is very high during pregnancy, and it has to be so that the female body would not push out the fetus. And it's also very high signaling when you have a tumor. So what happens if you have PrEP1 signaling is that you know the macrophage takes up different foreign materials. And what, what it should do is to present it to the immune system. But right. if you have clever one signaling, the, the foreign material is destroyed. So there is nothing for the macrophage to present to the immune system. And therefore, the immune system doesn't know that there is something foreign. So the clever one signaling system is extremely immune suppressive. And by blocking that system, we can get an immune activation. In those tumors, that use clever one as a way of getting away from the immune system. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Now, I assume that there's probably even more ways that different tumors evade the immune system besides the PD-1 and this one that, that you're targeting. Uh, is, is this just sort of, I mean, is the industry broadly engaged in kind of a, a game of whack-a-mole here, trying to find all the different mechanisms that, that tumors use to evade the immune systems and find uh, therapies that cancel them out? Yes, I think that there, there is a need for many different therapies. I do believe that what we're doing is very important because targeting the, the uh, immunosuppressive macrophages is one of the most common ways for the tumor to evade response to PD-1 blockers or even a response from the immune system. How how far along are you uh, with this at, at Farron in terms of, of, you know, having this be something that's proven out that can be used in patients and knowing that it's something that works? So one of the reasons that I became very interested in Farron was its science and also the clinical data that is available. So Clever One is a target that was discovered approximately 20 years ago. And the scientific founders of Ferrin actually were the ones that discovered the target. And I think that's very, very important. So the scientific founders have continued to research around the target to really understand how it works. And that is, of course, one of the most important things when you develop a drug to understand how the target works from the beginning. A few years back, we started treating patients with this drug uh, Bexmerilumab that is targeting this clever one. We have now treated more than 200 patients at different dose levels. What we have found is that the drug is well tolerated at, very, at different doses. And this is, of course, very, very important because the patients that we have treated are in the last line of treatment. So they are advanced cancer patients. They have received all the treatments that are available out there, and we come as like the last chance, so to speak. These patients, of course, need to have a good quality of life. That's extremely important. So with this drug being well-tolerated, we can provide that quality of life. But that's not all. I mean, safety is really important for sick patients, but also for the possibility of later combining the treatment. So what have we seen regarding benefit for the patients? Because it's good if a drug is safe, but we also want the patients to benefit. So we have seen that we can induce disease stabilization in 30 to 40% of 
of uh, different indications and that this stabilization, so the tumor is not growing anymore, it's stabilizing, is translating into a longer life for these patients. And I mean, that's what we want. We want the patients to have a longer life, but with a maintained quality. So I think we've come pretty far. So we are in phase two right now, the efficacy part. So we have come pretty far treating all these different patients. We know how we need to move forward. And like the, the end result is, of course, that we want to have a drug that is proved either as a single agent or in combination, because that's the only way that a lot of patients can get help from this drug. So you said stabilizing tumors. Obviously, the, the goal would be to, to shrink or eliminate them. Is it, um, is it stabilizing sort of a, a, a baseline or is it, is it possible you're going to get um, more effect than that? Or is that, is that um, a, a benefit enough? So uh, when we look at immunotherapies, it's a little bit typical that immunotherapies do not have like a very high percentage of tumor shrinkage, but this patient still uh, benefit by getting a longer life and hopefully with a good quality of life. When we look at drug approvals, FDA is mostly interested in the survival. How much can we prolong the patient's lives? The reason why we have been so focused on seeing a tumor shrinkage, or I mean, all companies and, and, and so on, is that that is for chemotherapy and for other small molecules. It's a good surrogate marker for a survival in the patient. So you know, if the tumor shrinks, you have a pretty good idea that the patient will live longer. This is not the case with immunotherapy. So even if you, you know, in citation marks only have a stabilization of disease, it can lead to a prolongation of life, which is the most important thing. It takes longer for the drug development, but in the end, we want to help patients. Yeah, but talk, talk to me about why how that works in, from a mechanism standpoint, because we've been talking about how, you know, essentially th these immunotherapies equip the patient's own immune system to, to fight the tumor in a way that it couldn't before because it can see it now. Um, so once, once that, um, you know, once that battle has begun, once the, the patient's immune system knows about the tumor and is, and is trying to fight it, um, how is it you end up in that equilibrium rather than, you know, having the immune system sort of succeed in, in doing its thing. So, I mean, it, it, so a tumor can be quite big and a tumor is not like well-functioning. The, the vasculature in a tumor is not perfect. So it could be difficult to get the drug to all parts of the tumor. So I think that could be one of the reasons why it is more difficult to like really eradicate the tumor. Another learning is also that maybe we need to go into earlier uh, stages of the disease. Maybe immunotherapy would work even better when you don't have such a big tumor burden, maybe in the adjuvant setting or in the neoadjuvant setting. But you know, always when you develop a drug, you need to start with the patients that are most sick. And when you know that the, the drug has, is working, you can move down into smaller tumors. That said, of course, I do believe that combinations could have a better effect on both shrinking the tumor and getting a better overall survival. And we have seen that with other drugs, such like PD-1 blocker combinations with chemotherapy, et cetera. 
So that is one of the reasons why we want to go into combination studies. And in fact, we have started our first combination study with Bexmerilimab in combination with standard care in blood cancers. So this is very exciting because we think that the additional BACs can be synergistic and help standard of care to get a better efficacy in those patients. Great. Another very interesting study that we're just planning is a combination with PD-1 blockers. So I, I told you before that Bexmerilimab seems to work the most in colder tumors and we get an immune activation, whereas PD-1 blockers do not work in cold tumors. So our hypothesis is that if we treat the patients with BACs, we get that immune activation in the tumor that allows the PD-1 blockers to work and together they can have a much better efficacy. And in this way, we can help patients that did not get a good response to PD-1 blockers alone and maybe even go into colder tumors. So this has been really, really interesting and, and very helpful, I have to say. Um, I'm I'm newer to this uh, this world than a, a lot of pharma journalists, so I apologize if I've asked some basic questions, but you've done a really good job of kind of explaining what's going on under the hood with these um, immunotherapies and, and why uh, why this this particular sort of approach is is different than than what's out there? So I want to thank you for uh, for being uh, such a, a good explainer. So I think your questions were awesome. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Any final thoughts or anything else you guys are working on that you're excited about that uh, might be kind of in the earlier stages or or um or yeah anything you want to leave our our listeners with. Well, one thing that has been very close to my heart ever since I started working as a cancer doctor 30 years ago is personalized therapy. I think it's extremely important to try to find different markers that can identify the patients that will benefit from the treatment, because why treat the patients that will not benefit? They may have side effects from the treatment and they don't get any benefit. So a lot of our work right now, very hard work is ongoing to find different markers in the blood or different markers in the tumor that we can test the patient before we decide to treat them to know if they can will respond to the treatment or not. In that way, we can really help the patients that will benefit from the, from the treatment and the patients that we unfortunately cannot help, they can go on other studies or, or get other therapies that will help them better. So personalized therapy, give the patients exactly what they need, no more, no less. That's really important. Yeah, and as we develop, you know, more approaches that that uh, work for different kinds of cancers, we, we have sort of this growing toolbox that, that we can then sort of um, utilize in a very personalized way, right? Absolutely. And, and that we, we, I don't think we can cure everyone with one medication. We need many different paths to help them all. Well, again, thanks so much for joining me. This has been a, a great conversation and I uh, look forward to hearing updates on uh, some of the work that you're doing with uh, Bexmer Lab. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, 
and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening. Bye.